In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana wilderness fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christensen Hour. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt Christensen. This is the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. Thanks for tuning in. I am joined, as always, by my producer down under, Tim. Good day, Tim. G'day, how's it going? Hope the hope the one month old is doing well. Today is his one month birthday. You're exactly right. Yeah, family's in good shape. Uh, but of course, in the news. Uh, the last Republican primary debate before uh, votes in Iowa on Monday is happening right now. We have stiff competition uh, in, the, in the live program, at least. But it's a debate that nobody cares about, myself included. I'm not tuning in because, of course, it's only Ron DeSantis versus Nikki Haley. Vivek is disqualified. He's on Tim Pool right now, I believe. And last I looked, that has like 75,000 viewers. So my guess is more people are watching Vivek on Tim Pool than the debate. That's going to happen. It's starting right now in Des Moines. But uh, breaking news. uh, Well, Chris Christie was disqualified from the debate because he didn't have the polling necessary. But uh, that doesn't matter. You can't fire him because he quits. As of just a few hours ago, uh, Chris Christie announced that he is quitting the race. He's done. The highlight of his campaign was, of course, getting told by Vivek to go away and have a nice meal. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> that uh, that was his high point, apparently. And it now uh, appears that Chris Christie is taking that wise advice. Good for him. I will miss this lol cow, but uh, he'll probably return in one form or another. But now, um, well, the question becomes what happens with with Christie's three or four percent uh, support in Iowa. So the only interesting question about him leaving the race is, is where does that support go? And that seems kind of inconsequential. It's a small amount of support, obviously, but it might make a difference as I'll get to in a moment. But even that's in question a little bit. Obviously, his support is not going to go to Trump since the very few people who actually like Chris Christie only like him because he hates Trump. So I thought, well, he'll probably endorse Nikki Haley since he simped so hard for Nikki Haley last time. That's not even certain, though, because earlier today, Chris Christie was caught on a hot mic saying Nikki Haley has no chance in this race. Yeah, I mean, look, she spent 68 million so far, just on TV, spent 68 million so far, 59 million by DeSantis, and we spent 12. I mean, who's punching above their weight and who's getting a return on their investment, you know? And she's gonna get smoked. And you and I both know it, she's not up to this. All right, point of fact, nobody punches above Chris Christie's weight. It's physically impossible. But if Chris Christie is saying she has no chance, why would anybody take a subsequent endorsement of Nikki Haley from Chris Christie? Seriously, I don't think he made an endorsement tonight anyway. Maybe he's just not going to do that. So that's it's a big assumption here. But let's say that Christie's support does go to Haley. That gets very interesting, actually, because that might be enough support to push Haley over DeSantis in Iowa. They're very close. If DeSantis loses Iowa where he has put all of his campaign resources, it will be devastating and embarrassing. Uh, Not that any of that really matters, because even if all the other non-Trump candidates consolidate, in most states they still don't have the numbers to beat Trump, even if it was just one of them. Uh, Trump is polling over 50% in all early states except New Hampshire, where he has uh, only a 12-point lead over Haley. Um, and Trump is even pulling it over 50% in Haley's home state of South Carolina. So it's not going to work, but it still will be interesting to see how this plays out between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. But enough about boring politics with a foregone conclusion. Instead, we'll discuss other items tonight. No guest this evening, but plenty of other items of interest. Yesterday afternoon, Ray Epps was sentenced to probation for his role in January 6th on a disorderly conduct charge. Hunter Biden earlier today crashed his congressional contempt hearing. He left the room after questions were directed at him, and a reporter asked him about his crack preferences on the way out. So it was quite a show. 
And then later on, it is, uh, of course, the Twitter topic of the week. Everyone wants to know what exactly is going on with the tunnels under this Jewish synagogue in New York. The footage, of course, is very strange. I will attempt to make sense of it. And, of course, we'll end the show with uh, an email question and your Super Chats as well. Speaking of, recall last week's Super Chat was disabled. Super Chat, as far as I understand, is back on YouTube on the Tenant Media channel. So if you'd like to support the show and send us a message to read at the end of the stream, you are now able to do that. Chats on Rumble remain active as well. Of course, we appreciate your support for the show. But let's get into this uh, Ray Epps story because, of course, uh, famed, not fed, not insurrectionist Ray Epps officially received his curiously light January 6th sentence yesterday. Of course, he's uh, he's not an insurrectionist like the rest of the elderly tourists that day. He's a victim, actually, as the New York Times and others are characterizing him. Ray Epps, target of January 6th conspiracy theories. And he had just, just a small role in the events of that day, the Times says, for which he's now facing justice. That's right, he's not an instigator. He's not a provocateur. He's not a participant in many of the supposed crimes that have put others in prison that day. He's just the target of conspiracy theories. At least that's the main point on his resume. By which, of course, they mean the stuff that he did on video and the text that he sent himself. Yes, Tim? Yeah, I just really want to reemphasize that. I would encourage people, go look up that wording of Ray Epps' target of January 6th conspiracy theories. And just look at every media headline. It is either that word for word or some slight variation on it. It is wild. Perhaps some coordination, one might theorize. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Now, the sentence here is just a mere year of probation. He has to do 100 hours of community service as well. Epps pleaded guilty last year to a single count of disorderly conduct. Prosecutors had requested six months in prison for Ray Epps. But funny, in this one particular case... The judge chose lenience. Ray Epps received his sentence remotely on Zoom, too. He was originally supposed to appear in court, uh, in federal court, in person. The hearing was abruptly changed to a hybrid hearing, meaning the government's prosecutors appeared in person and the defense, including Epps, appeared by Zoom. Maybe that's just further lenience to Epps, who's nothing but a nice old man who did nothing wrong, of course. Or the Gateway Pundit suggests that there may be a strategic reason behind Epps' decision not to show. Turns out another January Sixer named Eric Clark uh, is uh, has already filed a lawsuit against Epps for conspiracy to violate civil rights. So that's the same charge they're going after Trump with, although this is a civil suit. So something similar, but a little different. Anyway, and the, the same thing they're going after Douglas Mackey, the meme guy with, too, in the criminal context. But for, I, I've, I haven't read the, you know, the complaint in this lawsuit, but this guy's alleging that somehow Ray F. similarly violated his civil rights. Gateway Pundit learned that Epps was going to be served with that lawsuit at the courthouse hearing, whether it's related to the lawsuit uh, or not. Yet again, the feds are not very uh, transparent in this process, as usual. Now, Epps, in his defense, well, he we're supposed to believe that, that Ray Epps has come clean on all his wrongdoing. That's part of the rationale behind what appears to be a lenient sentence. He's a good boy that admits all he's done, and he didn't fight the government. He cooperated on first call. In fact, he called the FBI himself when he saw that he was wanted. Um, trouble is, lots of January 6ers cooperated and still got jail time for nonviolent offenses. During his hearing... Epps said, trust in elected officials and Fox News led to my gullibility in believing the election was stolen. Of course, Ray Epps now rightfully believes that Joe Biden is the definitive all-time record holder for most votes ever received and freest, fairestly ever elected president of all time, as are the facts. Uh, Tim, you had a thought. No, I didn't mean to put my hand up, but oh, well, while you're asking, while then, you're uh, asking that, I will no, no, point no, no, out wait, that... You can't just redefine the rules like that. Oh, I can shut up if you want. Um, but <laughs> All right, what do you he got? Has, I don't I think, think so, Jim. 
I think he said this. I think other January sixers have said this. Of um, we believe Trump saying the election was stolen, all that sort of thing. Okay, great, good, fantastic. He didn't say go into the Capitol building and commit violence or do. He didn't say any of that nonsense. So even if you believe the claims of a uh, stolen election, I don't think that really gives a sort of valid excuse for any actions you took beyond that, really. Well, even if we believe his defense, there are still questions about his behavior, certainly. I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Epps says he was uh, actually trying to de-escalate that day. That's all he was doing. He was he was trying to stop the mob, not encourage them. Here he was on 60 Minutes last year. And uh, I apologize for the sort of weird edit here, but uh, CBS is iron-fisted in their copyright protection on YouTube. So this is the only way that I can present it. I thought I could stop it. So I went back and forth. I talked people down and worked the line back and forth. Step down, step down. We're good here. That kind of thing. Take a step back. We're holding ground. We're not trying to get people hurt. They don't want to get hurt. You don't want to get hurt. Just back up. I was in front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. Explain this to me. I was boasting to my nephew. I helped get people there. I, I was directing people to the Capitol that morning. You know how this sounds. I know exactly how it sounds. I've been scolded by my wife for using that word. I shouldn't have used that word. Okay, so I orchestrated the whole thing right before I de-escalated the whole thing. That is the defense here. Now, if you don't recall that text message, at 2.12 on January 6th, Ray Epps texted his nephew, quote, I was in the front with a few others. I also orchestrated it. Asked to explain that text to the January 6th committee, Epps said, quote, well, you have to understand our relationship. Uncle, nephew, we hunt together because that's relevant somehow. We have fun with each other. We do that kind of stuff. What I meant by orchestrate is I helped get people there. And at that point, I didn't know they were breaking into the Capitol. At that point, I think means the time of the text of the nephew. I didn't know windows had been broken. I didn't know anybody was in the Capitol. If I answered him, meaning his nephew, that means... I was on at 2.12. I was on my way back to the hotel room. Now, the problem with that commentary is it contradicts the video evidence, both about Epps' behavior and the time at which he supposedly left the Capitol. Now, if Ray Epps didn't mean for anybody to enter the Capitol, it's very weird that he repeatedly encouraged people to enter the Capitol, both the night before and the day of. In this video, you can clearly see well, a lot of these clips, we'll, we'll play a, a brief uh, montage here of all of Ray Epps' various January 6th antics. But in one particular clip, you can see him whisper something into another man's ear right before the barriers breached in the initial charge of the Capitol. Tomorrow, we need to go into the Capitol. Into the Capitol. What? No! Tomorrow, I don't even like to say it because I'll be arrested. Well, let's not say it. We need, we let's need to safe. go. I'll say it. All right. We need to go in. Shut the fuck up, Boomer. To the Monument Hill. We are going to the Capitol where our problems are. It's that direction. Please spread the word. All right. No, Dave, but one more thing. Yeah, so if we go up there? No? When we go in. Are we going to get arrested if we go up there? Here. Yeah. You don't need to get shot. Now, according to Ray Epps on 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes, a 60 Minutes reporter asked him last year, hey, in that footage of you whispering in that guy's ear right before the uh, barrier there is breached, what did you say to him? And Ray Epps says with a straight face, well, actually, I told him that the uh, police are not our enemy and we're not here for this sort of rowdy behavior. Epps pulled this agitated rioter aside and said something. Conspiracists say he was giving marching orders. What exactly did you say to him? Dude, we're not here for that. 
the police aren't the enemy, something like that. Okay, so no explanation for why he picked that guy in particular for that supposed warning or why that warning appeared to fire that guy up instead of de-escalate, as Epps says he was trying to do and did throughout the afternoon. Uh, Tim, your thought? Maybe you can clarify for me, because maybe it's a cultural American thing. If you're trying to de-escalate a crowd, surely you wouldn't do that by whispering in the ear of one guy and yeah, one guy alone. It's, it's very weird Am to I an idiot like, or something? Hey, you specifically, you seem especially dangerous. Whatever you're about to do that's dangerous, I advise that you not. Yeah, it would be a very bizarre way to deliver that particular piece of advocacy, point taken. So, but in fairness, okay, we saw the one clip there of Ray Epps de-escalating later, where he's saying, hey, everybody calm down and stay back. That's the evidence of the de-escalation. Okay, but the problem is we have all of the evidence of escalation leading up to that point. The other problem with his defense for this orchestration text that... When he says that he had already left the Capitol and wasn't aware of the violence happening is that it's just false. We saw Ray Epps participate in the charge that was violent against Capitol Police there. And then we see him in other timestamped footage uh, still. Oh, let me grab. Uh, did I forget to grab it? Let me see if I can play here. There's time. Yeah, here's the uh, timestamped footage. Uh, this is Ray Epps at the Capitol in the mob. As late as 2.26 p.m., according to the timestamp on this particular piece of footage. Now, are those points close in time? Sure. But he's still there 15 minutes after he texted his nephew bragging about orchestration. But his entire defense is he only did that because he already left and didn't know it was violent. Well, here he is 15 minutes later. He, If he's observing his surroundings in any way, he would have to know that it's violent. So this this claim that like, oh man, I was only kind of like encouraging people to go there before I knew that violent things were happening or that things got out of hand. That's just not true. And the way that he lied to the January 6th committee, nothing ever came of that either. But you can put all of these fed suspicions and accusations aside. The question still remains, why did this guy get such light treatment? Um, he, he committed the same sort of crime that put others in prison, disorderly conduct. Of course, he entered a restricted area and we just heard that D.C. Uh, U.S. attorney, Matthew Graves, I don't have the clip, but uh, Matthew Graves said uh, over the weekend on the January 6th anniversary, well, technically everybody who entered the restricted area committed a crime, and he implied that maybe they'll be prosecuting them too. Ray Epps certainly did. Didn't enter the building, at least there's no evidence of that, but certainly entered the restricted area. Even if we don't think that he's a plant or a fed, this is still wildly preferential treatment. The average January 6th sentence is three years prison time. The average guilty plea is two years. Now, it should be noted those averages include felonies. Epps was charged with a misdemeanor. So it is a little bit of an apples to, orange, uh, apples to oranges comparison there. However, according to the Washington Post, the average misdemeanor jail sentence for January 6th offenses is 58 days. Ray Epps got zero days. And of course, we have to ask the question too, why not a felony charge? Enrique Tario of Proud Boys fame got 22 years in prison for supposed orchestration of the attack. He wasn't even there on January 6th. He had been arrested in the days prior for burning a Black Lives Matter flag in D.C. Took the flag as well. But because he supposedly planned and encouraged others to participate in January 6th, he got two decades plus in federal prison. How is Ray Epps organizing the night before and at Trump's speech and texting his nephew that he orchestrated it any different? I'm not arguing that Ray Epps deserves 22 years in prison. I don't think Enrique Tario does either. I am saying there's wildly differential treatment here. That's all. And of course, the wonder is going to continue. People will still believe that there's more than meets the eye here because it seems that there has to be to make any sense of this. And Ray Epps will have to continue living in an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains in an RV, as he said he does in his 60 Minutes interview. Uh, maybe he'll have to sue Fox News and Tucker Carlson to make a living. Last summer, he announced a defamation suit against those parties. So I guess that's how he'll recover his losses. According to the Washington Post, 
that suit is still in progress. Uh, yes, Tim. Yeah, the really amazing thing about the Ray Epps thing is people that even have been uh, have been declared as not having committed violence, all that sort of thing, are basically people that tried to overthrow the government. They tried to, you know, they tried to tear down the system, whatever classification you want to give. Ray Epps is on video actually calling for the things they're accusing of other people of doing. And it's not even that they're just ignoring him. So many people are actively defending him, and I cannot get my mind around that. Yeah, like the, if, they ignored, uh, the, if they ignored, I could. If they ignored, I could. You know, go. Ah, it's weird. Active defense. It's I weird how he has yeah. become like a, a hero to the January sixth true believers, and by that I mean the people who are, um, who are very aggressive in the way that they want to see January sixth defenses prosecuted and sentenced. And Ray Epps is the one guy who's a victim of the whole scenario. Oh, man, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Did something that was uh, a little ill-advised but didn't really realize what he was doing. He's the one guy that gets that benefit. Maybe I'm overstating and saying they celebrate him as a hero. I'm just he get, He's the one guy who's understandable for some reason. Everybody else is a terrorist. Ray Epps is like a, a guy who just took it a little too far by accident for whatever reason. But... Uh, I'll move into the uh, Hunter Biden news because that was quite eventful today. Uh, as expected, the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees voted today to hold Hunter Biden in contempt, or at least advance that vote to the full uh, House, for defying a subpoena to provide a deposition to the committee, or the committees, I should say. Uh, both votes were party line, 213 in judiciary and two. Uh, or to let me rephrase that 23 to 14 in judiciary and 25 to 21 in oversight. All of that was expected. What was not expected was Hunter Biden crashing the party personally, which we'll get to in a minute. Unfortunately, he did not bring his customary blow and hookers, but the vote uh, will go to the full Congress as soon as next week, where it again, will probably get a party line vote in support. Now, Hunter uh, is being held in contempt or will be held in contempt, presumably for his refusal to provide a deposition behind closed doors. Hunter and his lawyers have offered public testimony, as in they'll answer questions from members of Congress in uh, a public setting where everybody can tune in and watch. Uh, and Republicans on the committee have rejected that offer. They want a behind closed doors deposition. And as this has developed, initially I was confused about why Republicans would reject that offer. What's the problem with having us all watch Hunter answer questions? That seems like a show I would like to see, actually. Well, apparently the dispute is related to the process. In a public hearing, there would be five-minute questioning segments divided among committee members. And Hunter could just stall and stonewall those questions. In a closed-door format, lawyers can methodically go through numerous questions. So if I'm understanding this correctly, the Republican members of these committees think they're going to get better answers out of Hunter and his lawyers in a way that they can't just simply avoid. Even though the show publicly might be entertaining, if you're after quality information, at least if, if their perspective is to be believed, you're going to get that or you have a better chance of getting that behind closed doors. So that's why the dispute. Uh, but as a legal matter, does this, does any of this really matter anyway? Well, um, maybe, probably not though. Congress of course can't, uh, prosecute its own contempt charge. They're just making a recommendation. That's all. Uh, they don't have that power constitutionally. They can't bring Hunter to court. So this referral, if the house passes, it will go to Biden's DOJ. And I wouldn't expect Biden's DOJ to go after Hunter for contempt of Congress, but of course, there is existing prosecution federally against Hunter for his tax matters and his gun purchase, so it's not inconceivable. Congress also does have some power to pursue some sort of civil lawsuit as well. Uh, I am not an expert in how all that plays out. All of these things are complicated legal questions that are messy. Bottom line, it's not like Hunter's going to go to prison tomorrow for defying the subpoena or getting a contempt of Congress referral from the full house. Even though Nancy Mace wanted him arrested on the spot today, at least she made that call, but uh, it did not happen. We didn't get that show. It actually was very brief. 
Uh, because Hunter shows up and he stayed there for about 17 minutes, I think is what I saw reported. And he shows up with an entourage. He just walks right into this contempt hearing today. And Hunter and his entourage sit down in the hearing room. Again, about 17 minutes they were there. I don't think he even said anything inside the hearing room, at least from what I've seen. He and his lawyer did speak briefly with reporters outside. Uh, Maybe Hunter had just heard that these hearing room sex parties are wild, as we've seen in the last couple weeks. And he, he was disappointed he got bored because it wasn't what he expected it to be. So he walked out. I don't know. But it got pretty catty because Nancy Mace and Marjorie Taylor Greene started going off. Nancy Mace told him he has no balls. Spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? You have no balls to come up here. and Mr. Chairman, point of inquiry. Which uh, is totally unfair. We've all seen lots of footage of Hunter Biden's balls on his laptop. Or at least (laughs) I should say it exists. I implicate myself if I say we've all seen it. You know, I don't know about you, Tim, but there's there's Hunter Uh, Biden ball footage out there. Anyway, I think. I think tidy whities. I don't know if I've ever seen his actual balls. You've though. seen him through the underwear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is enough. I don't want to say any more. Uh, when Marjorie Taylor Greene started addressing him, he got up and just left the room. Miss Greene from Georgia for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, excuse going? me, Hunter. Oh, Apparently whoa. you're afraid Where of you my going? words. Whoa. Uh, here goes. <laughs> oh. I'd like to reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. It actually got kind of cringe. I cut up these clips pretty short, but Nancy Mace uh, accused him of being the epitome of white privilege. And Marjorie Taylor Greene did the Hunter Biden can't handle a strong conservative woman bit. So uh, it was kind of grown worthy on the part of those two members. But I suppose they have those moments somewhat routinely anyway. So it's kind of par for the course. But as Hunter left the hearing, uh, some kind of reporter or maybe just a heckler, I don't know who this person was, but he was asking Hunter what kind of crack he likes and whether he's on crack right now. Hunter, what's your favorite type of crack? Are you on crack today? Please, I'll answer your question if you be quiet and let me make a statement, okay? What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? I was unaware that there are different kinds of crack, actually. But if anybody would know the distinctions, I suppose Hunter Biden would, including famously Parmesan, of course. Uh, Tim, go ahead. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that last point because I thought exactly the same thing. I heard that when what what do you mean? What is there different kinds? Like I know that crack on? is a type of cocaine, but well, it's like is it is it like do you prefer Pepsi or Coke? Which, by the way, pun very much intended there. <laughs> and I don't know why my guy just laughed at his own joke. Because was it was weird. so hilarious. Congratulations. I don't know about that. But yeah, yeah. I did find that question weird. And so I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only ignorant one to that. Well, uh, I, I invite being informed on all the different types of crack. But uh, it was a funny moment nonetheless. Uh, my sources say that Hunter's crew it actually, uh, they had a camera crew. This entourage had a camera crew. As reported by the New York Post, filming for an upcoming documentary. So the question about why he would do this, well, as we saw with his press conference last month, where he stood outside the Capitol and explained how he's being unfairly targeted, it does appear like there's something of a confrontational legal strategy here. But if there's some documentary going on, yeah, maybe the point wasn't to go in and say anything. It was just to get shots for this upcoming documentary, I suppose. Uh, According to this coverage in the New York Post, Hunter answered only one question, actually. It was a question about why he put his dad on speakerphone during business discussions. Let me see if I can find the exact phrasing. Make sure I get it right. But uh, yeah, he he was asked why he put his dad on speakerphone during 20 business meetings uh, during his dad's vice presidency. And Hunter responded, quote, if he called you, would you answer the phone? Which seems to grant the point, actually. The reason Joe was brought onto those calls was to demonstrate the power of the connection. I'm not understanding what point Hunter Biden thinks he's making with that quote, but that would seem to grant the point of his critics. Unless he has some other way of interpreting it that I'm not understanding. But 
Anyway, Hunter was not the um, was not actually the embarrassment of the day. That uh, title belongs to De- Democrat Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. During the Judiciary Committee hearing, she reminded everyone not to forget about January 6th, which is, of course, the actual most important thing in any other context, this one included. But she said, and this is not the first time it's been uttered, she said Trump incited an erection. We're going to talk about outrageous things that have happened or things that have never happened. Let's talk about the fact that President Trump incited an erection. Uh, and <laughs> maybe that, too. <laughs> yeah, you could talk about that, too, I guess. Of course, that is the exact same error Chuck Schumer committed during the second Trump impeachment about January 6th uh, on the Senate floor. Here he was almost three years ago. Senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection, insurrection. And of course, the uh, Fox News headline says Democrats find saying the word insurrection hard, which in context, I would say is also unfortunate phrasing, or maybe that's intentional. It's a hard insurrection indeed. Nobody disputes that point. Okay. On to the Twitter topic of the week. If you're a Twitter user or um, or an X user, as the kids call it these days, you have undoubtedly seen Hasidic Jewish guys crawling through strange tunnels in New York City and everybody wondering what exactly we are witnessing here. I've seen claims ranging from these are tunnels that were built during COVID lockdowns so they could evade, uh, evade bans on worship. To this is actually the discovery of a satanic pedophile dungeon. So I gather this story is somewhere on the spectrum between incredibly based or the worst crime in the century. Somewhere in that range. It's pretty broad. But I've I've spent some time today trying to learn all I can about this to figure out exactly what's going on here. Uh, and the New York Post front page today shows exactly this bizarre imagery. Subvey is the headline. Get it? Like Subway, New York, Sub- Subvey. <laughs> These puns. Habad boys, as in Habad, Habad boys, spark holy, whole, holy, very clever, spark holy war by digging a legal tunnel under Brooklyn Synagogue. And I can report there was a big break in the story today as the ringleader of this entire strange operation has been uncovered. He is identified as Sam Uel. Heidberg, as seen in this picture. Uh, Tim, are you aware how to pronounce this uh, this exotic name? Oh, I have no clue. I, I'm not great with, I think it's Hebrew, isn't it? it I'm not great be. with Hebrew. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a language. It sounds like someone trying to clear the throat. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of, it's Samuel Heidberg, I think is the authentic pronunciation. You're right. Yes, I know it's a bit, of course. Uh, but it's the greatest bit that never dies. I always appreciate it. So these videos were going viral. Uh, here are some of the scenes of the police busting up what is apparently some sort of... I've seen the tunnel itself characterized as illegal. I mean, it must be. It, didn't, it wasn't approved by the proper process. So I guess the tunnel itself is illegal. But this tunnel dug under this synagogue in Brooklyn, as well as footage of... One guy just popping out of it onto the sidewalk like he just got out of the Ninja Turtle meeting or something. Okay, so this all, uh, well, this this place, uh, this particular facility here, is actually the global headquarters of Chabad Lubavitch, uh, or this movement in Crown Heights. Now, I'm not an expert on what that movement is, certainly not an expert on the internal Jewish politics here, but I gather this is some sort of Hasidic or ultra-Orthodox society. This all broke out Monday as New York City building safety agents inspected whether a tunnel dug without official permission may have caused structural damage to this famed property. 
Officials and locals say young men in the community recently built the passage to the building in secret. When this group's leaders tried to uh, seal it off Monday, they staged a protest and that protest turned violent as police moved in to make arrest. So as this uh, AP article notes, the exact purpose of the tunnel that incited the altercation remains the subject of some debate. So we still don't know, although there are several. We have what the synagogue itself is saying. We have what uh, the Twitter skepticism is saying and some things in between. But let's consider a timeline of exactly how this developed. There is a good thread of information on Twitter by uh, it, it's got to be a reliable account because it's called some bitch I know. So I'm giving a shout out to that bitch. Some bitch I know. Thank you for uh, putting together some some work on the timeline here. The tunnel was actually discovered weeks ago. There's one report in a local paper on December 22nd. And the discovery actually happened three weeks before that. So early December sometime after a nearby homeowner said they had been hearing suspicious noises at night. At the same time, there was nearby construction work and plumbers discovered the tunnel as well. The tunnel was discovered to connect from a building on the corner of Union Street and Kingston Avenue under the women's section of the synagogue where it exited the building. The digging of the tunnel, according to this report, began six months ago. Okay, so that's that's published December 22nd. We get another story published December 24th, and these are the first photos that leak. Or I should say the photos came out on the 23rd, video came out on the 24th. Um, but yeah, it's this bizarre looking primitive tunnel that looks like some sort of prison dig, like the great escape or something. And then December 24th, we get video of the tunnel as well. Here is some of that video. We don't have sound in this particular clip, but it gives you an idea of the scene. So it just looks like a lot of junk thrown about in a basement. You might've seen the stroller there in the corner that, is part of uh, what is giving some people pause, which we'll get to in a minute. But a lot it looks like a basement setting with a lot of junk in it, according to this video. That brings us to January 8th, which is Monday. On Monday, cement trucks were brought into the scene to begin filling the tunnel. These trucks were stopped uh, as some of the synagogue members began disconnecting the hosing. So you have members of the synagogue who are mad that this is... If I understand this correctly, the leadership of the synagogue is trying to fill the tunnel because they have not approved this. They don't like this. You have the uh, younger membership mad that the tunnel is being filled. And so they start protesting and it starts to get violent. And because they're meddling with the cement trucks that are filling this tunnel, police were called in to protect that cement work. And that's when the rioting began. And um, and so so my understanding is Synagogue leadership calls the cement trucks. Cement trucks get meddled with. Police then come. The cement trucks are not an operation of uh, the police or state building inspection or something like that. It was it was hired out by the synagogue leadership itself. Also, uh, as the, after this this riot happens in which there were several arrests, I think there were ten something like that. Um, you have Rabbi Harav Yosef Braun, who is a leader at this synagogue. He releases a statement saying that a group of people who are not appointed by anyone have taken control of the facility. There is an audio recording. I've listened to it. I'm not actually sure what he's even talking about. It's very confusing, but I gather he's saying that unauthorized people are doing unauthorized things at the facility. And there's kind of a there's a power struggle going on, at least they claim, at this synagogue. And you have this younger faction of uh, synagogue members who are trying to expand this particular facility, which we'll get to in a minute. But that's that's what he's getting at, I believe, is that there's a there's there's action that's being taken that's not authorized by the leadership of the facility. Uh, that brings us to yesterday, January 9th. Police closed the building and would not let anyone inside. Members were later let inside one at a time to retrieve belongings. Police say it could be weeks before the structural issues are resolved and the building is reopened. As of yesterday, 12 people were still in police custody. According to this report, it said no word uh, from, from NYPD on charges, though I see in that AP report there are existing charges of criminal mischief, reckless endangerment, and obstruction. Also yesterday, another rabbi at the facility released a statement with another generic 
explanation saying that a lack of education is to blame. So leadership needs to do what needs doing or get out of the kitchen. He's blaming the younger members of this synagogue for the tunnel and the riot in simpler terms. Of course, there are elements of controversy here beyond just the mystery of the digging of the tunnel itself. Much has been made about the discovery of what appears to be a stained mattress removed from the tunnel, or at least the area immediately around the tunnel entrance. Here is video of that particular stained mattress. So that would uh, appear to be a candidate for forensic testing. What exactly is going on here? Why is this mattress stored somewhere in the wall or at the entrance to this tunnel? The concern, obviously, is, is that this is evidence of human trafficking. But, of course, that is just a conspiracy theory that you should never ask about. In fact, even talking about it in any way is anti-Semitic. The Rolling Stone has confirmed, and, of course, they are a reliable source on all things controversial like this. But it's not just the mattress that is uh, causing controversy there uh, in the video from the tunnel that I showed, as I mentioned, uh, there's a stroller visible in a different part of the tunnel. There is a high chair seen as well. I've seen reports that the synagogue is also directly across the street from a children's museum, though, at least in what I've looked at, I haven't seen evidence of the tunnel connecting to that. But there's also the question of the concrete fill-in itself. Uh, the fact that this tunnel is being filled with concrete before a police investigation, if my understanding is correct. Uh, in fact, police were protecting the filling in of that tunnel. I understand there are structural considerations here and there may be some danger of collapse or something like that. But as an outside observer, I would question why not an investigation before filling the tunnel aren't the discoveries that we just went to now i agree i don't know that that's that that's not conclusive demonstration of criminality or or some kind of human trafficking operation but aren't those discoveries at least a little curious curious enough that maybe the thing should be thoroughly searched before it's destroyed you know, just basic questions that uh, i think are fair to ask also what about criminal charges here? Now, obviously, if there was trafficking or something otherwise illegal going on in there, that's worthy of criminal charges. But what about just the construction of the tunnel itself regardless? We know that this was not authorized through any sort of city authority or any any kind of planning agency on this kind of thing. And obviously, it was not done with um, modern methods or anything like that. It, it doesn't look like it was handled with, with proper uh, construction techniques. So doesn't this tunnel put area property at risk? Aren't you can put aside all the suspicions about human trafficking or children or whatever. The isn't the construction of the tunnel itself worthy of investigation. So far, I've not seen indication of a law enforcement investigation for the tunnel itself. Just the reaction to the concrete fill in. I may be missing something there, but that seems a little curious too. That brings us to the theories to explain what it is that we're looking at here. Now, I have seen it speculated and claimed that this is some sort of secret path to get around COVID lockdowns. That explanation, as in, in lockdown time, when uh, group worship was prohibited, this would have been a method for sort of secret entry or movement throughout the facility to worship uh, against the orders of New York City authorities. Now, that explanation seems to be eliminated based on the fact that it's reported the digging only started six months ago. Lockdowns were over. This is not some 2020 holdover or something like that. The official explanation here is that this, um, this is really about internal synagogue politics and sort of kids being kids. This is the project of some rowdy teens, really. Uh, and these are teens who are part of uh, an expansionist movement within the synagogue. These expansionist teens said the basement synagogue had long been overcrowded. They wanted to annex additional space that they said was taking too long. The tunnel project was a way to connect the synagogue to some vacant space. The potential problem with this theory, though, is that it looks like quite a big project 
could this really be the work of just some rowdy teens? Could they do this logistically? Number one, like, do they actually have the capability to do it? And number two, how do they do it without getting caught by the synagogue leadership that opposes such a thing, doesn't want them doing it? I would also have to question, where did they move all the dirt? It's, I think of that scene from The Great Escape, which is a movie I've seen now because we do the movie review on my other show. So I know the references, but um, but in The Great Escape, when they're digging a tunnel like this, they they put the dirt in their in their pants and slowly move the dirt from the tunnel out into the prison yard. What happened with all the dirt or whatever debris they moved to do this excavation? Where did that go? How did they remove it without getting caught? And what tools did they use to do this? Did they have the raw, uh, the rock hammer from uh, Shawshank Redemption? That was pretty effective. Maybe they had something like that. And then, of course, there's the theory that this was actually just the discovery of a big pedophile ring or some sort of human trafficking operation. Now, the evidence for that, at least I'm, as far as I'm aware, is, is the shady mattress and the high chair and the stroller. That's not definitive evidence, of course, but I would also say that's not exactly normal. Now, things get stored in basements all the time. I get it. But things for children stored in or immediately adjacent to secret tunnel excavations, that seems odd, seems worthy of a question or two at least. Um, But since this thing is getting filled in, we're not going to get those answers, I think. The official story will be power struggle within the building. Rowdy teens got the best of the elders. And uh, they'll be taught a lesson and this will all be fixed. Now, there is another piece of this story that I am hugely disappointed to say I am 99.99 convinced uh, percent convinced is fake. And that was this viral tweet that was going around by a guy who was claiming that he heard these Jewish excavations below his apartment months ago. And he was told that he's crazy, but now he's vindicated. Well, there's this guy named Richard Stroker. That's his name. And that should be the dead giveaway. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise phrased as Dick Stroker, right? Richard Stroker. It's a name that should uh, tip you off. He supposedly tweeted back in, uh, back on December 11th. I swear I keep hearing Yiddish under the floor of my New York apartment. I live at ground level and we have no basement. A month earlier. He, uh, November 7th, he supposedly tweeted, there are Jews living under my apartment. I hear them like, I hear them, it's like they're digging or something. For the record, I live at ground level and we do not have a basement. And now he's saying, see, I'm not crazy. You guys owe me an apology. I would love to believe that's legit, but it ain't. As I mentioned, his name is Dick Stroker. If you go to his profile, it's like his face is AI generated. And he keeps teasing these upcoming rumble streams and appearances on news shows that he's going to do, but he never posts a link and then they don't actually happen. So this is a bit, it's, it might be a pretty good bit and I'm interested to see where the bit goes, but it is not in fact authentic. And I will admit, (laughs) I will admit that I was duped at least initially, which is, which is good. I, I should have known by Richard Stroker. I mean, come on. But the reason I discovered this is a bit is because I I thought it was real at first glance. And I thought, well, it'd be interesting to talk to this guy. So I started digging into it. I'm like, it took me about five minutes to realize this is definitely, definitely fake. Tim, your thoughts? Yeah, I did mention this to you before the show. And I do want to point out that just because the name seems a bit wacky doesn't necessarily mean it's always not a real person. Because I did point out to you the U.S. Olympic swimmer whose name is Misty Hyman, because apparently her parents went, her last name is Hyman, let's give our kid an adjective for a name. Dick Stroker's worse, though, is it not? I mean, Misty can That's disgusting. I I think Dick Stroker is egregious. I mean, Misty is kind of the name. that I'm surprised that child didn't grow up to be a stripper or a porn star, let's be real. Um, But I'm also kind of blown away by the fact, what are we, a week and a half into the year? And already this is, we've got stories like this going. I feel like this is going to be a wild year. As uh, I I am not trying to dismiss uh, this story. I understand why people are hugely concerned with it. Because if you have suspicion of human trafficking, that is always something that ought to be 
investigated and something that ought to be treated seriously. So my intent in making this statement is not to minimize the concern with that particular suspicion. It's just to say that the 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 max the top tier 2024 bullshit is going to hit like late February, early March, just like COVID did. So we have not yet entered that territory. And uh, we'll find out in, well, beware the Ides of March. That's how it happened last time. I remember it was March 15th when everything started shutting down here. And I will always remember to beware the Ides of March in that way. So weird Jewish uh, tunnels with even weirder stained mattresses. That's just the warm-up act. That's all I'm saying. That's like, that's dipping your toe into 2024. That is not the height of the weirdness. But, uh, but I'll leave it at that. And of course, if there are updates in the story, we perhaps will come back to them. And I, I regret that we can't get Dick Stroker on the show to explain what he's experienced with these Jewish tunnels. But before we uh, wrap up, let's, uh, let's check in with an email question. Before I do that, I'll remind everyone that if you would like to submit an email question for the show, you can head on over to the contact page of my website. I link it in the description of the stream, but it's mattchristiansandmedia.com slash contact. And there is a box just for questions for the show. Look for the MC Our Questions box. Uh, that's how we take questions for this show. And we'll mix in a few when we receive them each and every week. But Tim, what uh, we got one from Joe. What does Joe have for us? Yeah, so uh, email of Joe Shook is asking... I'm a machinist and I've noticed the trades have been in a tough spot for a while. Income is not really keeping up with inflation, so the people who are in the trades are having a tough time. In the same breath, it's tough to find good workers. You would think that this means the wages of the good workers would improve, but if costs get too high, the business might suffer. Or they might start outsourcing to the lowest bidder and maybe send your work to China. With this being a global economy, it's tough to see any local solutions that would make a difference. Is there a national solution to this problem? Will the public perception against colleges reach a breaking point and this problem will end up taking care of itself? What do you think? Yeah, the first thing I would say is immediately stop the government disincentivization of work through social programs, all sorts of spending. Of course, we saw this worsen significantly uh, during Corona times. But why we would have to do that is because it contributes to both problems, that being inflation and difficulty in finding workers. Uh, when the government is sending out a bunch of free money, number one, people feel like they, they don't feel like they don't have to work because a lot of their costs will be covered, at least in the short term. But the problem is long term, when we just make money out of thin air without real value behind it, of course, we see the effects that we've seen in the last couple of years. The money that you do when we, when we print a bunch of dollars and put them out there, the dollars that you have saved become worth less because there are just more of them in circulation. So number one, stop doing that. Number two, as you mentioned, Joe, stop subsidizing nonsense college degrees because when market realities hit, people will be forced into productivity. The trades do that. Uh, they're productive. That is like we don't have to sit around theorizing about gender studies nonsense if you're somebody who does plumbing or you're somebody who does all sorts of construction work or if you're a machinist like you are, Joe. Those are things those are jobs that make things. And when you're making things instead of philosophizing, even though I'm a big fan of philosophizing as I sit around and do it here. Uh, but in general, yeah, when when you when we start when we stop artificially propping up these fantasy jobs like like gender analyst or something like that, it's going to force people into jobs that are actually wanted and productive in the economy. Another thing to consider, though, I, I would consider tariffs. And of course, I'm not a tax fan. Uh, but if taxation in some form is necessary, one that I think that that gives uh, the reason that tariffs ought to be considered is because if you're going to tax to any extent, that is an option that gives consumers the option of whether to pay that tax or not by the choice to buy a foreign good or not. So number one, it's it's optional for the taxpayer, at least more optional than the income tax. But number two, it levels the playing field for the American worker. So in addition to protecting the American worker and uh, American productivity, it protects the taxpayer too, um, or at least it, it lessens the burden. But I would way rather have uh, tariffs where I can decide if I want to consume that foreign good or not, 
than an income tax, which is just the theft of my money, uh, the money that I earn and that all of us earn. With tariffs, I have an option about how to navigate that tax. With income tax, I really don't. And as a reminder, tariffs were 95% of the federal government's revenue until the income tax began in 1915. So to bring this back to your question, Joe, the reason I bring it up is, is because that would be a way to protect against that foreign job loss that you're talking about. That the, the, the worry that if American workers are making too much money, all of a sudden that gets outsourced to China or wherever else. Well, if we have a policy that, that levels that playing field cost-wise, maybe that's worth exploring. And I know there's a counter-argument like, no, no, no matter... The cheapest way to produce something is always of benefit to the American consumer. I mean, I guess uh, there's a reason we all buy cheap, cheap stuff at Walmart, right? Uh, but uh, I, I don't know that it necessarily has to be that that way. I don't know that we can't figure out a way to protect American industry and pr- protect the American worker and um, and have and give Americans uh, good good quality products to buy too. Uh, Tim, you had a thought on it. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight one thing that he said in the email that um, I think, unfortunately, government really doesn't seem to learn and they need to is um, if costs get too high, a business might suffer. That's something that government just doesn't seem to understand or think about in terms of things like, for example, pushing the minimum wage is there is a there's always a sort of a, a peak bell curve of if costs are too low, obviously a business is going to suffer uh, suffer because they're not making profits. But if it's too high, it's also going to suffer because people will just stop shopping with them. And it's about finding that balancing point of what's a good, uh, you know, cost and money back ratio that we can operate at. Yeah, yeah you don't want to be. And all of that's, that, that should be decided by market forces, of course, not artificial yeah, yeah, government restrictions. Yeah. And I know that to some extent, not to some extent, a tariff is an artificial government restriction on foreign trade. But I think that's a big distinction. You know, yeah, yeah. If if we have to uh, put some restraints on foreign trade, isn't that a lot better than meddling with the fr- with free exchange in our own country as as much as we do? I mean, uh, seems uh, things seemed to work back in the day before we did this income tax nonsense, and uh, I wouldn't mind going back to such a system. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's just a case of you know, it's not that there shouldn't ever be any government interference in interference might be the wrong word in our business but if there's too much they don't allow the business to kind of find that sweet spot of of keeping costs down or keeping costs you know not costs not too low but not too high a business should be able to generally decide that for themselves no, they're all say. evil and they're run uh, by people with giant money pits in their backyard and <laughs> they just need to scoop the money away from them that is the um, other frustrating kind of viewpoint. You're right. We have uh, just a few super chats. Thank you, Joe, by the way. And again, a reminder, if you'd like to send an email question to the show, head on over to my website. Look for the contact page, MC Hour Questions box. Thank you, Joe. And we just have uh, a, a few super chats before we call it a night. Yeah, so I'll just start with the uh, Rumble Rants. Uh, I'm going to shout out Ginger Ninja1776 because he seems to be a Rumble Rant uh, super chatter at the moment, which is awesome. Thank you, dude. Yeah, thanks. Uh, if people aren't aware, over on Rumble, 100% of the chat goes to the creator. On YouTube, that evil Neil Neil Mohan, the guy who runs YouTube, he keeps 30%. But, uh, of course, we're grateful to have support from uh, whatever platform you may choose to do it. But uh, just yeah, so absolutely. people are aware that yeah. YouTube pockets a heavy percentage and Rumble does not. Anyway, first one from Ginger Ninja. Krispy Kreme, Chris voters will go where they came from, the Democrat Party. Krispy Kreme, Chris. I, how have I not heard that nickname yet? Well, uh, I'm, but... I'm kind of, I'm slightly annoyed at Ginger Ninja. Christy Kreme. Yeah, Chris. Okay, surely, yeah, there you go. surely Christy Kreme is a better part. Christy Kreme. Not to correct the, the, the setup was there. You're just, you're finishing yeah. off the bit. Thank you. Oh, we got a couple more from Ginger Ninja. Yeah, yeah, so he's got a few. To be fair, I was annoyed that I didn't think of Ninju Turtles, but whatever. Oh, with the- <laughs> I saw that. I saw that on Ninju Twitter. Ninju Turtles. Yeah, that's good. All uh, right. But anyway, uh, next one from Ginger Ninja. Uh, Epps did an Aragon impression at the Black Gate for the Fed's charges. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but at some point I uh, have. So yeah, you have seen that one. That was one I've I was seen the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
Yeah, yeah. But I was curious I've, if you would have got that reference. But I've yeah. not seen any of the Hobbit stuff. Oh, it's not great. It's pretty bad. It's kind of not terrible, but really not that great either. Mm-hmm. Entertaining enough, but anyway. Anyway, moving back to Super Chats. Uh, is the allegation that Samwell is hiding more than a Berg? <laughs> I don't even I don't know, know what exactly. That means, but okay. Hiding more than a who are the Bergs, I guess, in this situation? Who who was on that mattress that he's Sam hiding? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that is all the ones from Rumble. I will just refresh the YouTube ones quickly because I saw a new one come through. Okay, where is ours? There's ours. Um, so, Knuckle... Dunk, knuck, damn it, I said it in my head You properly. sound like me. I can never pronounce that yes. on Sundays either. I said it in my head perfectly, but as soon as my mouth that's, tried to do it, I cannot say that's it. That's how it goes. Knuckle hunky buck. Yeah. Trump didn't incite an insurrection, but he definitely did incite an erection. Democrats have had a hard-on for him since 2016. That's true. I, I don't think they can... Uh, well, they'll deny their love, but there is there's true love somewhere in there. I would argue probably even since 2015, basically since he announced. Yeah. Uh, um, and I forgot about this name, Daniel Yeager. There yeah. was a NASCAR driver back in the day named Dick Trickle. That's right. And don't forget famous uh, NFL player, legendary NFL player who just died, Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus <laughs> qualifies there too. Seriously, some parents, I swear, just do not say the name out loud. I'm sure they went with Richard and Butkus. That's that is what it is. It's like, um, you know, sometimes you're just given the last name that you are. It's like the well, I, do I dare risk uh, tenants channel with the uh, the uh, the 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 N word last name that we were talking about on Sunday? Remember that one? Yeah, yeah, we could try. Um, but yeah, last name's one thing, but that's why you say the name out loud and you go, oh, actually, that doesn't sound right when I say it out loud. I forgot how to pronounce it. What is it? Ka-ni-ga. That's right. That football kid in uh, <laughs> in Indiana. Forgot about him. Uh, anyway, Ryan Huss, thank you for the donation with no note. Thanks, Ryan. And from Mint20, man, Fed politics just bore me now. Uh, it just doesn't matter. The will of the people is a myth. Focus local people. Become the local elite in your city and country. Only then will Fed politics matter. And there's probably, yeah, a fair bit of truth to that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i really disillusioned on it, too. One of the things I thought about talking about tonight, but I ended up cutting, was just the, the spending deal that's going on. Because it looks like we're going to get a very Kevin McCarthy-y spending deal anyway. And uh, none of this really matters. We just keep doing this routine where everyone yells at everyone. We get giant omnibus spending packages. And DC just keeps... Uh, acting the way that it does, spending money we don't have, uh, making everybody broke, and uh, trying to trying to extend its power more and more into what should be states' rights than uh, than was ever the intended design. And it's like, how is any of that ever going to get fixed without some sort of reset? And I don't necessarily even mean like a civil war in in the traditional sense, like we all take up arms against each other. But one way or another. I mean, I agree that like sending the right person to Congress, not that I'm saying don't vote. I mean, it, it it's better to have some people than others. But the idea that we're all going to just vote for the right people who will go in there and dismantle this behemoth of ridiculously exaggerated, distorted power. I just don't see it one way or another. It's going to have to be reset. I hope that we can have some kind of peaceful way to do that. Obviously, I don't I don't want that to happen through dangerous armed conflict or something. But the path that we're on is unsustainable to the extent that um, it's it's more and more top down centralized authority, which was never the design. And to the point that Mint is making. Yeah, it's just it's not representative of the people in fairness, because it probably can't be, too. We're we're a giant country of 330 plus million people. If you try to have some top-down democratic system, there's just no way it's going to happen because the lifestyle of people like me in the state of Montana is completely different from the lifestyle of people in places like California or New York. I don't want to live the way that they do. They probably don't want to live the way that I do. But the idea that we could all be governed by the same system that would represent us properly or balance our interests exactly the right way. The only way you can do that is where we have a system 
where we pretty much leave each other alone and we have the light touch of a federal government that just protects us from invasion, provides us with a military, make sure there isn't an invasion at the southern border, for example. That's the only way these things get along peacefully. And they're not. You know, we ha- Instead, everybody takes top-down orders from D.C. and it's just not sustainable. It's not going to last. But Well, if I'm able to just provide a quick analogy, because uh, I think you know from my other job I work with kids, I would view the states almost as like the federal government and the states as the parent watching over a kid, the kids are getting in a disagreement, and the parent just steps back and goes, I'll let them sort it out, and then if things start getting out of hand, then they go, okay, maybe we need to step in now. Maybe we need to take a bit of charge well, here. But for you, the most part, you, they leave them alone and let them run their own thing. Yes, insofar as degree. like uh, disputes among the states between the states would be a, a, a federal government jurisdiction. I would agree. But not – in this analogy, it's like the states have their own children, you know? It's like the states no, are 13-year-olds and they each have their own toddlers. And it's the state's well, job to manage the day-to-day of those kids, you know? Uh, when the feds, well, in this analogy, when the parents start managing those toddlers, that's not really their business. And they need to stay out of that. Well, then but, maybe you could view it as like a three-generational thing of the grandparents yeah. looking over the parents who are looking over the kids. Yeah. And rather than stepping in and saying to the kids, hey, you maybe need to do this, they step back as much as possible and then just interject with... They think they might need help. Sorry, just quickly, um, we got a, another one from Mint. So I'll just refresh and just bring it up. Um, we just sent another one through. So thank you for the support. Thanks, man. Oh, come on, you slow. I got it here. The revolution of the cheap and the nasty. Modern economics in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, uh, there there is, a, there is a marketplace for the cheap, no doubt. Um, but if it comes at the cost of I guess let's put it this way. If cheap goods at Walmart come at the cost of putting American workers out of work, of what benefit are the cheap goods if you can't even afford those, you know? Uh, that that would be the consideration there, I suppose. And um, we got one more over on Rumble as well. I think Ginger Ninja chimed in here. His name was Samuel Heidberg, lol. I, I know. I was trying to pronounce it correctly, not the Americanized version. Anyway. Uh, uh, all right. So it's a pronunciation joke because I was looking at that going, oh, okay, I don't know what that, that means. I, I was just leaning into the bit. That's all. Fair enough. Fair all enough. right. We will call it there. Of course, uh, we appreciate everybody joining this evening. Uh, thank you for tuning in live and thank you to the super chatters. Uh, of course, if you're listening later on demand, thank you for listening as well. If you miss any part of the show or would like more to listen to, there's more content on my website, mattchristiansandmedia.com. If you're new to Tenet, a like and a subscribe are much appreciated as well. We'll be back each and every Wednesday night at 9 Eastern. This has been the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. Have a great night.